Take out your Bibles if you have them and turn to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have them, that's okay. Most of the stuff will be on the screen today and you can follow along there. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have an Apple product of some kind? Let me see. All right, I've got my iPad, although it's, um, it's marginally usable because I dropped it on the driveway and it looks like uh, the screen has all kinds of rivers flowing through it. All right, I've got that. I've got an iPhone. Uh, the truth is, I was, uh, it's kind of a, when I look back on an interesting story, when, when I came to be pastor of this church almost six years ago, they were redoing some of the media equipment. And Diane was here and was on board and was helping to redo that. And she called and I said, well, what are you putting in? And she was like, we're putting in Macs. And I was like, don't put in Macs. I don't like Macs. I don't use Macs. I don't like Apple stuff. And she said, no, we're going to put them. And so there is actually a PC up there that we never used because I said we had to have one because I didn't use Macs. And then about a few years later, I bought an iPhone and a laptop and iMac and iPad and I've pre-ordered the iWatch if it's coming out, you know. I, I got it all. I, 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 in fact, when I wrote my MacBook, there was a professor at Union that um, wasn't there when I was there, but is there now, and he's a big Mac guy. And I just kind of jokingly put, I have officially converted, and then put a picture of my MacBook up, and he wrote back, praise be to God, you've seen the light. <laughs> so, but here's the thing, all that almost didn't happen. I don't know, I assume most of you don't know kind of the history of Apple, and I read the biography of Steve Jobs that came out about a year ago, but there was a time when Apple was in deep trouble. Jobs started it with the guy in his garage, and they built it in this great company, and then Jobs hired a guy that he thought would do great things, and they got in fights, and eventually the board forced Steve Jobs out, said, you're no longer going to work at Apple, and he left, and he started other projects, and Apple went down the tubes, and Steve went down the tubes, and nothing good was happening, and they came back to him, and they said, we got to have your help. We need you back. The company's floundering. We don't know what to do. We're not selling anything. At that time, they were about 1% of the PC market. Nobody was buying them. Nobody cared about them. They weren't newsworthy. They weren't making money. It was all going away. And Steve came back, and they were thinking about how they were going to kind of relaunch this thing. And Steve, in an interview that happened, said this about when he came back and about what he decided to do. He said, when you grow up, you tend to get told the world is the way it is and your life, just to live your life inside that world. Try not to bash the walls too hard. Just try to have a nice family, have fun, save a little money, be okay. He said, but that's a very limited life. Life could be much broader once you discover one simple fact that everything around you in life was made by people that are not necessarily smarter than you, and you can change the world. You can influence it. You can build things. The minute that you understand that you can poke life and something on the other end can come out and you can change and mold, then you can live. I think it's important to learn that you can change the world and make it better. And once you learn that, you'll never be the same again. And so he had these philosophies and he went to the guys and they came up and all these ad agencies come. And one ad agency came back with an ad that he absolutely loved. It was very simple. It was, think different. Now, some of you are grammar snobs out there, and you're already concerned about what's on the screen. Can I see any hands, anybody? There's a grammar error there, right? Miss Betty, my teacher, I expected that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. What's the error? What's it supposed to say? 
Think differently, right? Your adverb usage, you all know that. If you, by the way, if you don't get that and you're over 12, we need to talk, all right? So, not that I'm a grammar snob or anything, just... But he did that on purpose. Because he wanted people to have a different concept. He wanted people to not think normally. Now, what's interesting is we've started this series of messages called Weird, and Steve Jobs is not the first one or this ad agency to come up with that idea, right? In Romans chapter 12, what does it say? I don't want you to be conformed any longer to this world, but by the renewing of your mind to be transformed. What it's saying there is in Romans chapter 12 is that if we are going to follow the Lord, we're going to have to think different. We're going to have to live different. We're going to have to act different. And that Christ calls us to be weird. Now, we talked about this passage of Scripture that comes from Jesus' teaching when He says, and He looks at the crowd and He says, be careful about going on the broad road. You don't want to go on the broad road, but choose the narrow way. Remember, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult is the road that leads to life. And few find it. We've talked about over the last few weeks that the Lord has called us to live in a different way. To live in a weird manner. Weird in a God way. Not just weird for weird's sake. But weird in the way that we use money. And weird in the way that we use time. And today we're going to talk specifically about the fact that you and I and what we're doing in this place is weird. Being a part of a church is weird. And that God calls us each to be a part of it in order to live out His way. In fact... Um, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we already kind of talked about it, but it says this. Therefore, brothers, by view of God's mercies, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. Basically, he says, listen, refuse to let the world smold you, squeeze you, fit you into the mold that they say is normal. But instead, in everything, in your everyday walking around life, your work, your school, your rest, your relationships, the way you respond to people, the way you talk in your home, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, the way that you move through the world in compassion, in every waking moment of your life, in every major thing you do, and in every minor thing you do, in the ordinary walking around way that you live, live in a way that is different from the normal world. Make it an act of worship. And God will begin to work inside of you something that will change you from the inside out. But our job in that is to cooperate in that and let Him move and work in us. And today we're going to talk about specifically how God has created us unique, weird. And that we must live in the midst of that weirdness and embrace it and live for it and enjoy what God has done. Look at verse Three of Romans chapter 12. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly. I love that word, sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. And there are a couple of things in there. Usually when this passage gets preached, preachers really get on the humility thing, right? 
Don't think of yourself more highly than you should. No, listen, don't think of yourself arrogantly or proudly or any of that. And the truth is, that is what this is teaching. Don't think of yourself in a way that you imagine you are more important than you really are. But there's a secondary thing there as well. It's not just don't think of yourself more highly than you should. It's don't have inferiority complex about who you are either. Don't degrade yourself and try to have this false humility where I'm just nobody with nothing that can't do anything. He says, listen, by God's grace, you are amazing and you've been created. Just think of yourself as you are. I read this week about a child's clubhouse in the backyard that had rules posted on the inside. And the clubhouse on the inside, the rules said, number one, nobody act big. Number two, nobody act small. Number three, everybody act medium. Now, I don't know what it means to act medium, but that's kind of what Paul's saying. Just kind of be who you are. And Paul goes on in verse 4 to remind us that God has equipped us all with things to do. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In another place, Paul will tell us that the body that God has given us is a model for understanding how the church ought to operate. And it says in that part over in 1 Corinthians 12, you don't have to turn there, that every part is dependent on every part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every part hurts. If one part rejoices, everyone rejoices. Now we know that to be true in our own body, right? You ever hurt something and it hurts your whole body even though it shouldn't? Right? Maybe you ever stumped your toe. Amen, right? Isn't that great? Stepped on the Lego. Middle of the night. Everybody else is asleep. You do that silent shout dance around the living room. You know? You got that support on me? All right. Anybody ever had a migraine? Knock you out, right? Anybody ever hit your thumb with something? Yeah. Even the smallest part, if it hurts... The whole body hurts. Isn't it amazing how terrible you can feel when you get snot in your nose? Now, I know you expected some snot in your nose today, but you know, I mean, I've had I've had a cold this week, and Wednesday I got I just started to feel just a little bit, and you know, and it was like I was walking in a fog all day. Christ says that we. Paul says that we are his body. And that as a church, we ought to operate in that way. Now, um, I know you all have heard that before, but I wanted to demonstrate it today in a little bit different way. Just kind of to remind us as we walk through it. And so I brought along something to help me. Y'all know who this is? Mr. Potato Head, right? Now, this apparently is Safari Adventure Potato Head right here. It is not my own personal potato head, but I would want one of my potato heads. But we have two or three at the house with bodies, and I don't know where the stuff is. All right, it would have been a very good illustration if we we're missing an arm or a leg or a Darth Vader mask. All right, so, um, so this is the form of a potato. This is how they come, right? Just, just say yes. All right, yeah. Okay, you're acting like you can't answer questions. All right, so this is how they come. When they come, then the job is to 
put things where they're supposed to go. And we're going to pretend today we are the nice people that are actually going to put the things where they're supposed to go. Not an eye over an ear and trying to see all the crazy stuff we can do, right? So the truth is that God has given us all different abilities, right? And for some of us, he's given us the ability to talk. That's my primary gifting, I think, from the Lord, is he gives me the ability to talk. And y'all say, sometimes a lot you talk. And so he gives us that ability. But there are some of you that are teachers in here. There are some of you that, that help instruct people. Maybe it's not just in a Bible study, but you're, you're, you're helping people understand the Bible better. Or you're speaking. You're helping to teach. And he gives us all, as a church, people that can do that. All right? And so if that's who we are, then that's what we do. Now, some of you are... Um, more patient and reserved and you like to you can listen to people when i was in seminary um, everybody has to take a biblical counseling class i made the lowest grade i've ever made in school in biblical counseling all right that's because this is this is how when you're a preacher you don't get many counseling appointments Usually when I talk to people in counseling, I'm, I'm, not, I'm one of those that either wants to fix it within the first two minutes or I just want to go, and you really wonder why you're in that place? Which is not what you're supposed to do as a counselor, all right? That's not counseling 101, all right? But some of you have that gift. You can listen. You're, you're uh, sympathetic with people. You're able to look at them and say, listen, I, I, I understand you. I know you. Yeah, yes, I know you've told me that story 412 times, but I want to hear it again. Tell me, please. All right. And so you, I'm going to make you the ears because you like to listen. All right. Now, this next one's going to be a little bit of a stretch, but I mean, we are using a potato head. All right. Some of you are able when it comes to church or life to kind of know when something just seems right and when something doesn't seem right now can i be honest with you there are a lot more people that think they have this gift than actually have this gift okay but there are some of you that do it doesn't and and sometimes we'll say it just doesn't pass the smell test all right there's a discernment about it like that just doesn't seem right or that seems right and so we're going to make the discerning people the nose all right some of you are also People that can uh, see things kind of out there that need to be done. You, God's given you ability to say, hey, we need to think about this or we need to think about that or we need to go here. We need to go there. There's just some things that we need to think through and think about. And so God's given you the ability to have vision and to see into the future, into what happens. Now, the last one is probably the one that I would say is this church's strength. In fact, let me just say that. Last Sunday night, we had a great time last Sunday night. If you didn't come last Sunday night, you missed a good night of fellowship and good... I mean, you tell this church to bring food and they bring... But how many of you were here Sunday night? All right, y'all point at everybody else tell them y'all they're ridiculous for not coming. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, we had a great time last Sunday night. And afterwards, I was reminded again of this truth, okay? If there were such a thing, I would enter this church in the tear down a tables in a room world championship because when this church has an event and it's over whether we need to take the tables down or not we do it as quickly as anybody i have ever seen in fact last fall some of you were here we had the national back to church sunday we had one service and food afterwards there were literally people picking their plates up still eating as the tables were getting removed which we probably need to talk about that a little bit but um 
you're the hands of the church, all right? The, the things that get things done, that, that do things. Some of you, not necessarily just in that way, but when something needs to be fixed or something needs to be painted or something needs to be worked on, you, you're the hands of the church. If, if somebody needs to get their hands dirty in ministry, that's what you do. Now, here's what I want you to see, all right? With our lovely friend, Mr. Potato Head. That when we started, it was a pretty much a blank canvas and incomplete. But as we've added each part, it becomes a complete picture. And what the church is, is a place where people's individual gifts and talents and abilities come together in a beautiful way to do God's work for His namesake. And the key to that is understanding your place. Look what it says in verses 4 and following here. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Say different. Okay, do it. Say different. We have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. In other words, if it's prophecy, then prophesy. If service, then serve. If teaching, then teach. He goes on to say, if exhorting or encouraging, then do that. If giving, do it generously. If leading, then do it with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. The idea is that God has created all of us in a special way, with a special moment, and that we need to serve in the midst of that. Uh, I'm also a a golfer. Anybody here play golf? Obviously not. All right, thank you, Brandon. I like to play golf. I haven't played much lately, but this is my three-wood. And my three-wood is the club I hit the worst. Okay? The... I am least effective with my three-wood. But there are moments when I'm hitting the three-wood, when I will hit it right here. Golfers, what's that called? Sweet spot, right? And when I hit the ball on the sweet spot, I don't have to look to see where it's going. I don't have to worry about whether it's in the woods. If it is, I'm throwing it out, not taking a penalty because I hit it too good. All right. I played with Cliff Forbes one time, and I hit a drive, best drive I've ever hit in my life, and ended up in a lake. He went down, picked it up, and threw it out, and said, you deserve better. Go hit that. All right. When you hit it on the sweet spot, you know it's just right. I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. I was watching the Masters tournament, and um, this year's Masters was, was okay, but I really like last year's Masters because of the guy who won. You remember who won last year? Bubba Watson. There are some reasons that I love. How many of you know who Bubba Watson is? All right, if you don't know Bubba, here's the reason to like golf. All right, Bubba Watson. Here's why I like Bubba. First of all, his name is Bubba. Amen? Secondly, he owns the General Lee. You know what I'm talking about? Duke's a hazard. When I was growing up, I had five birthday cakes in a row with the General Lee on it. All right? I love me some General Lee. All right? So he's Bubba. He owns the General Lee. He's a strong believer in Christ from the South. And, I'm not against you northern people, but, you know, he is, all right? And the last thing is, he's never had a lesson in his life. In fact, sometimes I, I want him, and some of you, many of you won't get this, but I want him to hit a, just a brilliant shot, just let him go, never had one lesson, all right? It's Ferris Bueller, if you don't know, all right? And in the Masters last year, Bubba Watson got in sudden death playoff. And he gets up and he hits a drive 
And he hits it straight into the woods. How many of you remember this, all right? Hits it straight into the woods. And the commentators are like, oh, you can't do that. Another guy hits it, decent shot, not great, but decent shot. Like On a sudden death playoff, you can't take that big of a risk. You can't do that. And so Bubba gets over to his, his, his shot, and he looks down, and there's pine straw everywhere, and you can't hit off. I never hit off pine straw. Just, you know, the foot wedge helps me on that. I don't hit off pine straw, but people hit on pine straw, you know, you can slip on it. It's not good. He couldn't see because of the trees, he could not see the green. This, and this isn't like, oh, I'll just take my medicine, go out into the fairway and hope to live another. This is sudden death. So Baba decides to go for the green. And we're going to play the video. There's not going to be any sound on there. But this is what he does. So he hits it. And the thing curves all the way around. Right there. Now, even if you don't play golf, you know that's pretty good, right? Now, here's the thing. I actually have a picture of the trajectory of that shot. All right? This is an overhead view. And that's what that shot did. Now, can I confess something to you? I can hit that shot. (laughs) Amen? I can't do it on purpose, but I have hit that shot many times in my life. And when they asked him about it, he said that he knew when he hit it that it was good. He had hit it for whatever it was on that shot on the sweet spot. Here's the thing. God has created you with a unique way to serve. And that's your sweet spot. And there are a lot of people in churches trying to do a lot of things that God never intended them to do. But when you find what you're supposed to do, it's just like hitting that golf shot pure and straight. And right. In the book of Galatians, God tells us that we're unique. We will not compare ourselves with each other. You don't worry about what everybody else is. As if us are better or another worse, we have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. Can I tell you that when I first started pastoring, I had all these models of what a pastor should be. And some of you know my father in law. My father in law is Phil Jett. He pastors, or he's not pastoring anymore, he's retired. He's just on staff. At the church he pastored for over 25 years, or around 25 years. But Phil Jett is the best administrative pastor I have ever met in my life. And I've had other people tell me that. That's not just father-in-law bias, all right? And when I was starting to pastor, my vision of what a pastor is supposed to be included that. And guess what? I'm not. I'm not at all. And I had to come to a place where I said, God, that's okay. I'm an original. I'm the way you made me. And I'm not going to be Phil Jett or my pastor growing up, Raymond Boston or Adrian Rogers or Rick Warren or Andy Stanley. I'm not going to be any of those guys, but I am going to be who you've made me to be, and I'm going to hit my sweet spot. And can I tell you the truth that I don't always still find that, but there are moments in ministry and in life when it all comes together and you think, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. The sad thing is there are a lot of people that never found it or never find it. I saw a study this week that said 70% of people say they don't have the desire or the skills to competently do the work they're doing. 70%. It's because we have decided that we're not going to find 
what it is that God wants us to do, that sweet spot in our life, and begin to live in the midst of that. God created us all, and here's the thing. We've used this before, but I mentioned Rick Warren a minute ago. He, he came up with this idea about how you find your sweet spot, and he called it finding your shape, S-H-A-P-E. And he simply said this, that the first thing that we have to do is we have to determine what spiritual gifts God has given us. And we can get into a lot of discussion about spiritual gifts, but here's what I want to tell you today about spiritual gifts. A, that they've been misunderstood for so long because people's goal in life sometimes, it seems, in the church is, let me find out my spiritual gift. Let me discover my spiritual gift. The truth is, spiritual gifts aren't an end in themselves. They are what we are to use for the glory of God and the serving of people and the building up of the church. If you know what your spiritual gift is, one, two, and three, and you're not using them, so what? God gives us all spiritual gifts. They're for building up the church. They're for helping other people. They're for serving the Lord. Each one is uniquely gifted by God in a way that comes as we accept Him and as He sends His Holy Spirit into our lives and uses us for His glory and for His benefit. And we are all gifted with that. And every gift is just as important as the other. The ones that are on stage are the ones that are off. The ones that are known and the ones that are unknown. One of my favorite stories about that is of William Carey. Okay? William Carey is considered by some to be the first great missionary of this era. And while he was off doing mission work, the story is told or actually came out from William Carey after his sister's death. His sister was bedridden. And all she did, she said, during the day was to pray for William and what he had written in the letters and what was going on over there. Both of those people used their gifts of God in a way that glorified Him and built up others, and they're just as important. God uses our spiritual gifts. He also uses what we're heart beats for. I mean, you know, there are certain things that when you hear about it, your heart just begins to leap off your chest. And I'm thankful that this church has all kinds of things that make people's hearts get excited. Like Lynch, Kentucky. Some of you hear about the work in Lynch, Kentucky. You get so excited about Brazil. Some of you hear about Brazil and I can't wait to go or to give or to help. Or as some people, you hear about our youth ministry or our children's ministry or our senior adult ministry, our adult ministry, helping out with, with a room at the inn or helping out with meals on wheels or going downtown to the bridge or your Sunday school class has a mission project and helping out with that or helping out with the worship and helping out with music or helping out with whatever. Your heart just begins to beat a little faster with women's ministry or men's ministry. And you know, that's something I want to do. That's something I got to be a part of. I want to do that. God gives us those desires and then he pairs them with our abilities. One of the sayings that goes around church is God equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. You know what that means? That means that if God calls you to it, he's going to give you the ability to do it. The kind of the corollary of that is, if you can't do it, God probably didn't call you to it. Right? Anybody ever watch American Idol? I mean, not as many of you now as used to, but according to them. How many of you watched American Idol? You know those early rounds when they bring them into, the, like, you know, New York or Nashville or San Antonio, and they bring them in there and they sing for the judges, and the judges say, no, you're terrible. And they walk out in the hallway and they start booing, like, no, I, I'm not going to let it crush my dreams. If I can dream it, I can be it. And you want to look at them and go, no, you can't. Because you were terrible. And it's not going to work. God gives us abilities that we need to use for His glory. It's not some mysterious stuff out there. What are you good at? God wants to use what you're good at for His glory, for the building of the church, and for serving others. 
He's just our personality. You realize God creates us all different, correct? We're differently created. How many of you are introverts here? Of course, you're not going to raise your hand because you're introverts. How many of you? How many of you are extroverts? Let's see. Let's go on. The extrovert social club here. All right. When I do, uh, I just created differently, right? How many of you like change? You like stuff to change all the time. You want new stuff. You go into a restaurant. You're not looking for what you've always ordered. You want something different and new. You want new experiences. You want new vacations. How many of you are like that? How many of you are, let's just do what we've always done. I got two things I order when I go to a restaurant. Yeah. You know what's interesting is seeing husbands and wives, like one's going up on one, the other going up on the other. Right? I do, when I do premarital counseling, I give this test, and as part of it, it gives me a personality assessment. And it's always interesting that almost everyone, they're opposite as you go through there, just because God kind of does that. But God uses our personality. And here's the last thing. God uses our experiences. And what he does is he takes those things in our lives that have happened and uses them for his ministry. In fact, I'll tell you this. I think that your greatest ministry may come from your biggest defeats, your biggest disappointments, your biggest difficulties. As God begins to use that for him. Y'all have heard me share many times about Susan and I's struggle early on with having children. And people look at us now and we've got four and can't understand or believe that that was the case, but it was. You know, I mean, that was, that, when I look back on our 15 years of marriage, that was the darkest points of our marriage, not with each other, but just in general. You don't know how many times with friends, with church members, with acquaintances, that God, for some reason, has kind of laid on my heart. Y'all need to share that and talk to them because they're going through it. And that's not an easy thing for us to talk about because it's dark and difficult, but God has used that in a mighty way. Here's the thing. This is my last prop of the day. God has given us all certain stuff. And it's almost like when you're getting ready to go on a trip, you pack for the trip, right? So let's imagine that I'm going to Colorado and I'm going to get my last ski in of the season. What am I going to put in here? Sweaters, ski masks, gloves, right? Is that going to change if instead I'm going to Destin? Yeah, that's going to change, right? You know, suntan lotion, bathing suits, short sleeves, all those kind of things. Is that going to change if I'm going on a mission trip even if it's at the beach? Yeah. We'll have work clothes. I'm going to have stuff that I want to give away. It changes, right? Based on our destination, what we pack in our luggage changes. Now, here's the thing. God has packed into your life certain things because he knows the destination that he has in mind. And if you allow other people to stuff stuff into your luggage or you try to change what's in there, you're not falling in line with what God intends. Just be who you are and use it for the glory of God. Maybe you were... One of those kids growing up that had the, uh, the dad who didn't have his athletic dreams fulfilled. Anybody seen one of those at the ballparks? Right? Didn't have their athletic dreams fulfilled, so how are they going to fulfill them? Through their son that would rather be home reading or playing games. Right? So they're out there, and you can tell it's the dads because the son's having a great time and the dad is... About to get thrown out of the park for yelling at the ump, right? Or maybe you were 
The girl that mom always wanted, her girly girl little princess. And when you started to live, that's not who you were. So you let other people pack expectations and baggage. Maybe you're the one that mom always thought you'd have a doctor in the family. So everything about who you are and what you're doing is going to be a doctor or a well, nobody really wants a lawyer in the family. Or a, just joke. I have a lawyer in the family, right? And so you tell them something and you, you know, I just, well, I'm supposed to do this. Or, you know, you're the one that somebody put an arm around you. And, you know, your granddaddy sold cars. I sold cars. And soon you'll sell cars too. Right? That's not who you are. The thing I love about Romans chapter 12, it says, whatever you are, do it. And do it well. Can I tell you something? If we are going to be the church that God has called us to be, it will require every one of us doing what we're called to do and nothing else. See, sometimes it's we try to do everybody else's stuff. My first church in Ripley, I once headed up a cookbook committee. Because I was a preacher. I can do a cookbook if I need to do a cookbook. And I remember kind of bragging to the Lord, boy, did you see that cookbook? It looks good. Whoever was heading that up did a good job. And God just kind of gently whispered to me, that would have been great if that's what you were supposed to do. But I didn't call you here to do a cookbook. We need to do what God's called us to do and nothing else. And if we're going to be the church that God called us to be, it's going to mean every person finding their sweet spot and doing it. What about you? Have you found your sweet spot or you need some help with that? You need to talk about that? You need to think about that? What about you? Are you serving the Lord where He's called you to serve? Let's pray together.